Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to church, everyone. Welcome to specifically Independent Baptist Church. And if you're online with us, thank you. Welcome as well. If you're here with us, often we say for a first-time guest, welcome, which of course we do. But if you're online for the first time watching us, glad you're here. Glad you're here and uh, look forward to meeting you in person one day. A well-known verse that many of us learned growing up as children, but is terrific on the topic of forgiveness, is Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How much did God in Christ forgive us? Does anyone want to start listing by number how many sins? <laughs> this morning, this past week, over this past year, we can't keep count. Endless, right? When Peter asked Jesus how many times that he needed to forgive his brother, he thought it was big stuff to say up to seven times, but Jesus said, you don't keep track. You just do it, period, over and over and over and over, because God in Christ has forgiven us. So let's take a minute to bow our head and thank God for the forgiveness of our sins offered to all who will believe in Jesus. Your forgiveness, Lord, through your Son is nothing short of amazing. We are astounded when we think about what it took and what you did. And I don't want to even begin to think about the tens of thousands, maybe even millions of, of sins that I've committed, if not with my hands or my feet, in my mind, with my words, Lord, is countless cannot possibly keep track. No way we can work that off. No way. It's impossible. But in Jesus, there's forgiveness. Help us today. If there's someone today in church that we need to forgive before we worship, it needs to happen. Please help us to do that in our heart and in person as soon as possible. But today we stand before you complete because of forgiveness, because of Jesus. Thank you so much for your love. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing our beloved doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here
Amen. Uh, dear ones, when you read through the Bible, you find out time and time again that God is for us. And you know, it's pretty much in every single book of the Bible, even when Israel was being stubborn and they rejected God, he still left them with hope if they'd return. And when the church struggled, every church in the New Testament, one way or the other, had something that little or big that needed to be addressed. God is for us. He over and over mentioned how he will not leave us nor forsake us. He's with us. It's in his very name, Emmanuel. God is with us, and he is for us. And that <clears throat> song itself was based on Romans 8. Great chapter to read this week. Let's continue singing.
Morning. Morning. It is good to be here, to be able to worship with you this morning. Amen. Amen. Death was arrested, and my life began. Great truth. It was his grace, it was his mercy, it was his love that gave us that life. Yeah, I'm reminded this morning how often, though my life began with Christ, with his grace, his, his mercy, his love, his sacrifice, and yet, how often do I live my life for me? It's a good reminder this morning that our life began because of him. And the good thing is he continues to give us that love, grace, and mercy so that we can live for him despite our failures at time. Well, this morning we just want to welcome you, especially those of you with us this morning for the first time. Pastor Mike has already said that. Um, but we want to um, connect with you, so we have a connection corner in the back. So if you'd like to know a little bit more about our church, we invite you to go back there following the uh, morning service. Uh, there's also a Sunday school hour to follow, so we encourage you to be part of that. If you're not sure where to go, they can be able to connect you into where you might be able to um, best fit. Um, just other announcements here real quickly. Um, this is the last day, ladies, to sign up for the Ladies Craft Night. Uh, if you don't sign up today, I'm sorry they won't have a spot for you because they are bringing in a limited amount of supplies. Uh, so if you are planning to attend that, please make sure you sign up today so they can have all the supplies needed for that. Uh, <clears throat> you'll also notice, maybe some of you have already done so, there are some booklets out in the hallway here. Um, they are uh, counseling books. They are um, there for your use. However, let me explain what our, our desire and that is. Um, it is um, for those that are um, looking for counsel on certain topics. There's 30 different books out there on 30 different topics. And if you feel like you could benefit from one of those books, they are free for you to take. However, we don't want you taking like 10 of them just for casual reading. All right? This is just if you think that you would really benefit from a booklet that would speak to a particular topic. Uh, you are welcome to do that. If you know someone that may be struggling with a particular area in their life and you really feel like this booklet might be of benefit to them, Again, that is free for you to take. Um, so just use it wisely. Um, we will restock it, um, but if we're restocking it significantly every week, we're going to know something's going on, and um, that's not exactly our... I mean, if, you, if we have that many issues, I mean... <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go anymore. All right. Um, anyhow, uh, no judgment if any, you see someone taking that. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Digging a hole. All right. Um, last announcement before da Pastor Don comes up and redeems me here. Um, we have um, a Man Up event coming up. It's at um, Clark Summit University. And uh, there's more information in your bulletin. There's um, a pro little promotional video that we want to show you on that. It's a uh, Dave Drevecki is going to be a speaker, and you're going to see him in just a minute on a video, but we encourage you men, um, if you can attend this event, we really strongly want to encourage you to do so. If you uh, plan to do that, though, make sure that when you register, you register under Independent Baptist Church, all right, so that we can hopefully keep everyone together uh, for, uh, for our time there, all right? With that, I will let them show the video.
In the 1980s, Dave Dravecki had reached the pinnacle. Through hard work and dedication, he'd achieved his childhood dream of pitching in the major leagues. There's a call strike three and the game is over. And what a performance by Dave Dravecki. Never forget when I was a young kid, my dad looked at me and he said, you know, Dave, I don't care what it is you pursue doing, but whatever it is, you work as hard as you can to be the best you can. But it all came crashing down when doctors noticed a lump on Dave's left arm, his pitching arm. He underwent surgery and doctors told him he would never pitch again, something that didn't quite sit well with Dravecki. I know the odds are against me. You know, the doctors have said outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. How could I live the rest of my life without trying? and then wondering, could I have done it? Dravecki rehabbed in the minors, and on August 10, 1989, he made his well-publicized return to the majors, earning a win over the Cincinnati Reds. But just five days later, Dravecki threw what was referred to as the pitch heard round the world. Dravecki gives him a look. Here's the pitch to the plate, and it goes all the way to the screen. Dravecki falls down and grabs his left shoulder, and he is hurting. Dravecki is hurt badly. When I was laying on the ground um, with a broken arm in Montreal, um, all I could think was, there is something bigger than baseball that's going on in my life. Just months later, Dravecki learned that his cancer had returned, and within two years, the deterioration had gotten so bad that doctors had to amputate his left arm and shoulder. I went into clinical depression, um, battled significantly with anger issues, um, because I didn't have control. None of us are exempt from pain and suffering, but it's what we do with it that I think really makes the difference on whether or not we get through it and get to the other side. And on the other side, Dravecki began the next chapter of his life, embarking on a career as a motivational speaker and sharing his story with people around the world. We're strong. We can deal with anything, and especially me. It's really encouraging to know that um, that this story through pain and suffering, you know, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, has actually touched somebody's life and encouraged them along the way. Life is about enjoying it, man. And so many people in this country are miserable. You know, they don't enjoy life. But even in the midst of the struggles of my life, I was able to enjoy the fact that I had each day. In Great Falls, Tom Wiley, ABC5 Sports. Men will not want to miss that. It's uh, May 19th and 20th, and part of his story, of course, is his faith in Christ, and it'll be an encouragement to you. We encourage you to sign up for that. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us and your grace. Even as we've seen this video, certainly often through difficult and hard and challenging times, you're grace and your mercy and love shine through and we just thank you for that reality and that truth this morning thank you for our time together that we can worship you we recognize father that uh, as, even as we have sung if, if god be for us who can be against us and you certainly have been for us you spared not your own son but delivered him up for us all will you not also freely give us all things we thank you, Father, for that salvation that is ours through faith in Christ and that free gift of salvation as you continue to freely give us all things as we humble ourselves before you. And I pray, Father, that you would show us those times in which we perhaps are lifted up with pride and 
and lift it up with our own self-righteousness. Even this morning, fathers, we will be looking at the, the parable of the prodigal son. And certainly we see the, the love of the father and we compare that to, to your love for us and how you accepted us as repentant sinners before you. And yet, the real reason why Christ shared that parable was to show the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And Father, we can be so guilty of, of being lifted up with our own pride and our own self-righteousness and, and think that somehow we have, have earned your favor, somehow we deserve your blessing. Humble us, Father, before you. You give grace to the humble. You resist the pride, the prideful. And I just ask that uh, even this day, as we come together this morning, we'd be reminded of those truths and that we would see ourselves as you see us and that we would throw ourselves at your mercy and at your grace. Father, we think of, uh, as we consider that prodigal son parable this morning, certainly there are some here this morning who have some prodigal children, children who have grown up in their home, grown up in the faith, grown up in the church, and, and yet they've walked away from it. There are many, no doubt, with grieving hearts and sorrowful hearts as they would consider and think of that this morning. And, and yet, Father, in that parable of the prodigal son, we see that there is that hope and that you would have us to continue to pray for those prodigals. You'd ask us to continue to pray that they would recognize their need, that they would turn back to you, and that we as parents would, would give them that example and that we as parents would not be lifted up with our own self-righteousness as we would pray for our prodigals. So, Father, we ask that you would encourage and strengthen even this day as we consider this parable together this morning. Father, we're grateful for each one who's come. We recognize that uh, various needs are represented here this morning, and you've promised that you would meet our needs. And so I pray, Father, that we would look to you, we'd not look to ourselves, we'd not look to this world, we'd look to you for the meeting of those needs, and, and with confidence recognize that you will indeed come to our side, encouraging and strengthening and giving us that which we need in the face of the trials and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, we're Chris and Abby Corfman. It's great to be here to fellowship and worship with you today. Uh, I was thinking about what song to, to, to sing, and with all the fear and uncertainty and doubt and things that are going on today around us in the world, um, I thought the Lord's admonishment to be still and know that he is God is, is comforting. still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is holy. Be still, O restless soul of mine, how before the Prince of Peace, 
Let the noise and clamor cease. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is faithful. Consider all that He has done, standing on be amazed. Know that He will never change. Be Thank you, Chris and Abby. Good to have you back visiting. Always good to have some old timers back and visit with us. And, uh, and speaking of old timers, Doug and Paul Blow are back here too. So welcome. Good to have you here. I so much appreciate your love and concern and prayers for me. Many of you have already asked me this morning, so I thought, well, I probably better just make it public. Um, had a good appointment with the neurosurgeon on, on Friday, and uh, you know what they do with horses when they break their leg? <laughs> they thought maybe they'd just take me out back and shoot me, but, uh, but that wasn't the worst of it. Lynn didn't ask for a second opinion, so <laughs> just joking. No, it was a good report. Um, no surgery at this time. Not ruling it out maybe in the future, but no surgery at this time. So very thankful for that. I've made good progress in the last week, so they want to see uh, what kind of progress I can make uh, uh, in the coming weeks. So that's where we're at. I've been referred to the physical therapist, but uh, feeling much, much better. And I appreciate your prayers. That's why I'm feeling so much better. And we're just looking forward to, to moving forward and just continuing to 
to serve the Lord together. So thank you so much again for your concern and your prayers. Like I said, many of you have already asked. I know many of you will want to ask again, so I thought I'd just make that known to you so that we can rejoice together. Thank you so much. Let's take a minute and thank the Lord right now for this. Father, thank you for the, the love of the people here in our church for their pastors, and in this case, Pastor Don. Thank you for your love in his health and thank you father that you do care and you do answer our prayers and we pray that you'll be able to help him to as the bible tells pastors to do to to discharge the duties of his ministry but to do it in a way that uh, we support him and to do it in a way that recognizes your your goodness in his life uh, thank you that uh, you have uh, allowed him to continue to do this and that Again, it was good news on Friday, and, and may it be, Lord. We just pray that uh, we continue to pray for one another. It's amazing how your heart is moved when we do that, and we uh, pray that we wouldn't take our health for granted, but that we would trust you in all things. You work everything together for good to those who love you. In sickness or in health, that's the truth, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand one more time as we sing a couple hymns together.
Thank you. Direct your attention this morning to Luke chapter 15. That is the chapter in which Christ gives this parable of the prodigal son. Of all of Christ's parables, this parable is one of the most detailed and one of the most dramatic and really one of the most personal of all, his, of, all of his parables. It's full of emotion. Certainly there is the grief and sadness of the father, but then there is the triumph. There is the, the shock of how things are handled. And at the end, there's just kind of an unsettledness as it relates to the elder son. To one degree or another, we can identify. Perhaps to a certain degree, we can all identify with the prodigal, wanting to go our own way and do our own thing. Some very personally can identify with the father, the grief and the sorrow of the prodigal. Probably all of us can at least somewhat understand the feelings of the elder son. This isn't fair. When it comes down to this, this parable, certainly what greatly stands out is the father's love for his son. But Christ did not give this parable just to be a, a warm, fuzzy, feel-good story. In fact, he gave this parable not even so much about the prodigal or about the father. In the context this parable really is about the elder son. Because the elder son represents the audience to whom Christ is speaking, and the audience to whom he is speaking is the self-righteous Pharisees. And the elder son represents the self-righteous Pharisees, and that's really the audience to whom Christ is speaking. So this morning as we look at this prodigal son, we certainly will see the son and his repentance and the love of the father, but we really, really want to see it from the viewpoint of the Pharisees in their self-righteousness. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this parable that is just so full of, of lessons for us. I pray, Father, that we would recognize that which you would have for us in it this morning. Sometimes we can maybe get sidetracked into just the, the, the personalness of the story and, and miss the point. I pray that you would challenge us this morning as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Notice in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, then drew near unto him all the tax collectors and sinners to hear him. So Christ has what's called here the tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were, were despised by the Jewish people. They were the, the lowest of the low. They were compromising with the Gentiles, the Romans. And so they were considered horrible sinners along with others. And, and these are the ones coming to Christ. And in verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's that attitude that Christ is addressing in 
the next three parables. This attitude of self-righteousness on the part of the Pharisees. How dare he eat with sinners? The Pharisees would never do such a thing. They were more righteous than that. They would not touch the sinner. They would not be contaminated by sitting down and actually eating with them. How dare Jesus do that? And in their self-righteousness, they were condemning Jesus for being with sinners. And so Christ, in the next three parables, addresses that attitude. The attitude of their self-righteousness. And he explains why he's with sinners. And he justifies his actions in reality. The three parables, the first one is verses 3 through 7, often known as the parable of the lost sheep. Verses uh, 8 through 10, the parable of the lost coin. And then beginning with verse 11, down through the end of the chapter, the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son. But as he speaks of that lost sheep, he says there's a hundred sheep, and, and one gets lost, and the shepherd will go out and find the one. And notice what he says in verse 7, And I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The ninety and nine in verse 7 are the self-righteous Pharisees. We don't need repentance. And Christ says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than ninety-nine of you self-righteous. Same concept with reference to the lost coin in verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. That's why I'm with the sinners. I want to see them repent. And so he comes then to the lost son. And we see the lost son repenting, but then we see the elder son and how he responds to that. Really, to understand this this parable of the prodigal son, we we have to understand some of the culture of the first first century Judaism. At that time, the the prevailing assumption was that that God looked at sinners, even repentant sinners. God looked at them with with stern disapproval. The idea that God would, would just freely forgive sin was not in their theology Even a repentant sinner was going to have to pay for his sin. And if there was going to be any forgiveness, it was going to be earned through hard work and through long obedience to the Old Testament law. If, indeed, any degree of forgiveness would be attained, it would be through earning it by obeying the Old Testament law over a long period of time. That was their theology It was the sinner's duty to work hard to redeem himself. The idea of any kind of of free forgiveness was completely not part of their theology. So we come to verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. With that simple statement, he begins the parable and, and the stage is set. The main characters are identified right off the bat. A man and his two sons. In verse 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. This request 
Father, give me my inheritance. The way it's translated here makes it sound kind of, you know, almost uh, um, politely. You know, Father, can I, can I have my inheritance? That's not what's going on here. In essence, this younger son is coming to his father and is saying, in essence, Father, I wish you were dead. I have plans. You're standing in my way, and I want out of this family. That's really what's going on here. It's not some polite request, can I have my inheritance now? No, I want you out of my way. I've got plans, and you're in my way. Now, again, understanding the the theology of this first century Judaism, that would have, uh, and as the Pharisees are, are Christ's main audience here, that would have struck them very hard. Their immediate thought would have been, this son is as good as dead. They would have said that this son needed to be uh, put up as, a, as a, an example of, of a horrible sinner, one who, who really is, is now dead to the family. And in fact, at that time, they would actually hold a funeral for this son, and he was as good as dead to make such a request as this. There would be public shame, public humility, perhaps even a funeral saying that he's as good as dead. But notice what the father says. Or what he does. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. He grants the son's request which would have made him seem like a pathetically weak father to these Pharisees. He should never have done this. That's not what they would have recommended. That's not what they believe should have been done. They would have looked at this and said he was, was completely wrong. He should never have done this for his son. He's a weak father. They would have immediately had anger towards the father for allowing this son to manipulate him in that way. In this culture, if indeed this son would ever want to come back, it would be at the father's discretion, but it would certainly never be to full sonship. It would certainly never be to where he could be fully reconciled. He would have to forfeit all of his rights. He would never uh, gain any further inheritance if indeed there was that even possibility that there'd be any kind of of coming back. It would be under strict terms, forfeiting all of his rights, not part of the family, but simply part of the slaves. But for the father to just hand over his inheritance would have been seen as very pathetically weak. Verse 13, and not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. He left, went to a far country. In this, again, in this uh, culture, in that terminology, a far country meant that he was going into a Gentile country. He was leaving Israel, going into a Gentile country. He was not just leaving home. 
He was not just leaving family. He was leaving his cultural heritage. He was leaving his faith. He was going to live among the Gentiles, the unclean Gentiles. He was leaving everybody he knew, and he was leaving everybody that knew him so that he could then fulfill his lust in a life of debauchery. Riotous living, as it's translated here. A life of licentiousness, a life of debauchery, a life that simply indulged his flesh. In fact, the word prodigal comes from this. Uh, the word prodigal is simply, a, a, the, the word riotous here is the idea of reckless, licentious, uh, promiscuous. And the word prodigal is simply an old English word that means promiscuous or reckless or, or uh, uh, licentious. That's what the word prodigal means, so that's where we get this prodigal son. Christ has painted this young man as uh, a very despicable figure. He certainly has, has created this man as the, the main villain of the story, if you will. That was his intent at this point. That was what he was trying to do. He was just trying to make this son out to be this, this despicable character. So he leaves home, leaves family, leaves the cultural heritage, leaves his faith for a life of debauchery. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Sin never delivers all that it promises. He had a dream. His dream would be fulfilled in doing whatever he pleased. Whatever made him feel good. Whatever gave him pleasure. And he was convinced and sin promised that that would be a life of great happiness. It would be good times over and over again. Sin never delivers what it promises. What he found was that sin led him into ruin and destruction. Proverbs tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin promises the easy life. It never ends with the easy life. The way of the transgressor is hard. And this young man finds out that sin did not deliver what it had promised. And the son hits rock bottom. He wasted everything he had. And then a famine comes to the land. You know, famine in, in Bible times was recognized as judgment from God. And so as Christ tells this story, the Pharisees listening would have said to themselves, God is getting that young man. He's getting everything he deserves. He's wasted everything. And now God is punishing him by sending this famine. He is getting everything he deserves. They would have been rejoicing as Christ told this story that the famine had come. God was bringing judgment upon this young man. And this young man's dream of freedom turned into a nightmare of bondage. Went from bad to worse. Verse 15, and when he and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have vain have filled his belly with the hus that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He became a pig herder. Think about that. 
Think about the Pharisees hearing this story. Pigs to the Jews were unclean animals. There would be no more despicable job than herding pigs, taking care of pigs. These Pharisees would have looked at this and, and, and Christ has intentionally painted this man as the most disgraceful, most dishonorable, most defiled person that you could ever become. With everything that he'd done and now ending up as a pig herder, that was the bottom. He had hit rock bottom. And the Pharisees, as they hear this story, would have been rejoicing in the fact that he had hit rock bottom. And they would have recognized in their mind that he is now permanently unforgivable and irredeemable. You couldn't get any lower than this. God had judged him, rightly so. He deserved it, and there was no coming back. Obviously, there's a lot of lessons in this whole parable, and we can't cover everything, but let me just take a little sidetrack here. As we think of the prodigal son, and we, we, we can read down through that, and we can kind of have an attitude of the Pharisees that, boy, this, this guy is really a despicable, rotten sinner. What we need to realize that we are all prodigals. We are all rotten, despicable, defiled sinners We're no better than this young man. We have all rebelled against our Heavenly Father. We have all disdained His love in pursuing our own lust. We have all been alienated from our Heavenly Father. We have all come to a point of hopelessness and helplessness. We are no different prior to our salvation Every one of us are prodigals, alienated from God, helpless and hopeless, disdaining His love in the exercise of our flesh in sin. Every one of us, just as this young man, have squandered and wasted the blessings of God with the pleasures of sin. He reaches rock bottom. In verse 17, and when he came to himself, came to the end of his rope, he hit rock bottom. Nothing more to do. Plan A didn't work out. Plan B didn't work out. Plan C didn't work out. He's all the way to plan Z at this point. There's nothing more left. Came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Prodigal son exhausted all of his resources, and in his helpless, hopeless condition, he turned to the only place he could, back to his father. Nothing left to do. He had exhausted all of his resources. He had exhausted all of his plans. He had nothing left to do. For the first time in his life, he determines to walk away from his sin and throw himself at the mercy of his father. 
we see in his words here as he, he devises a plan and in devising that plan he, he comes up with a, a speech that he's going to make to his father. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. So he makes a plan, he rehearses this, this speech, but when we read that, we really do see full repentance. What does that look like? What does true repentance look like? Well, what we see in this is, first of all, he acknowledges his sin and where it has led him. He acknowledges his sin and he recognizes that he is where he is because of his sin. It has led him right to this pig pen. He accepts full responsibility with no excuses. He acknowledges his sin. He realizes that it's led him right to where it has led him. And he accepts that responsibility. He makes no excuses. He's not blaming any others. Not blaming his father because his father mistreated him or, or whatever. He, he, he accepts the responsibility. Makes no excuses. He owns the guilt and the consequences of his sin. He doesn't look at it and say, boy, I, you know, my consequences, I've hit rock bottom and, and that's just so unfair. It, it's, it, it's, just, it's not equal to my sin. My sin wasn't that bad. None of that. He recognizes his guilt. He recognizes that every consequence that has come into his life, he deserves every bit of it. Sometimes we come in what we think is repentance. But we kind of come with an attitude of, boy, my sin wasn't that bad. I really didn't deserve that, did I? This young man recognizes his guilt and the consequences. And then finally, he admits his helplessness and throws himself at the mercy of the Father. He doesn't come with anything to offer. He doesn't come with any kind of self-confidence or self-righteousness or any kind of defensiveness. He doesn't come demanding some rights. He doesn't come kind of trying to make a compromise. He comes completely helpless and just throws himself at the mercy of the Father. That's true repentance. And anything short of this is a false repentance. At this point, you can be sure that the Pharisees who were listening had their expectations of the Father. When this son comes back to the Father, the Father is going to let him have it. The Father will certainly not embrace him. The Father will certainly not accept him. He, he may allow some form of of some reconciliation, but it will not be full reconciliation. It will not be full sonship. It will just be, uh, you have to bow down to me. There will be no uh, meeting with the son until he is publicly displayed for his sin. There would be no embracing the son, but only making him bow before him. That was the mindset of the Pharisees. As this son comes back to the father, the father will not meet him until he is publicly displayed as a sinner, and the son will have to bow down to the father. 
But what do we see? Verse 20, and he rose, came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Not only did he not refuse to meet with his son, he saw his son coming and he ran out to meet him. And not only did he not make him bow down before him, he threw his arms around him and he embraced and kissed that pig's stinking neck in all of his filth. What a wonderful picture of our Heavenly Father. The Pharisees were determined that this young man, if there's going to be any kind of forgiveness at all, he was going to have to clean up his act. And he was going to have for a long time be obedient to the law. And then maybe, maybe there'd be some forgiveness. That's not how it works with our Heavenly Father. We don't have to clean up our act first. We come to Him helpless We come to Him hopeless and we throw ourselves at the mercy of the Father and He throws His loving arms around us and He kisses our pig stinking neck and He forgives us of our sin. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've paid for our sin but because Christ has paid for our sin. It's not that sin doesn't get paid. It's not that sin doesn't get punished. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The sin has been punished. It's been punished in Christ. And through that punishment, I can receive that forgiveness. The father's response to this son's repentance is not what the Pharisees believed should have been done. Again, they would have seen this as a weak father, not demanding payment for his sin. Notice, father embraces that pig stinking son and all of his filth. He honors the son, gives him three gifts. He starts out in verse 21, the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. He, he starts in on his speech. The father stops him before he gets done with his speech. Verse 22, but the father, the, the father interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Three gifts, the best robe or, or literally first Ranked robe. First ranked robe. It's a, a robe that was, was set aside to be given only to, to dignitaries who were visiting to show them high honor. So he says, get that first ranked robe. That robe that's set aside for, for dignitaries as they come and visit. Get that robe so that we can honor my son. Give them the ring. That's the signet ring. That's the ring that the family would use to carry on business. He's restoring him to full sonship and he's now able to carry on business in behalf of the family. And so the robe reserved for visiting dignitaries, signifying high honor. 
the ring signifying complete restoration to full sonship, carrying on family business. And then the shoes is basically simply signifying reinstatement as a privileged son and not a slave. The slave didn't wear shoes. His son was not going to be a slave. He's restored to sonship. At this point, the Pharisees were disgusted. How dare this father honor this son? They would have been disgusted with the father. They would have been disgusted with the son. They would have been disgusted with Christ for telling such a story. He has set them up perfectly. Because now enters the elder son. The father throws a party. Bring the fatted calf in verse 23. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry. The feeling that the son had here, the elder son, is exactly what the Pharisees would have been feeling as Christ told this story. They would have been angry at the Father. They would have been angry at the Son. They would have been angry at Christ for suggesting that forgiveness could be so freely given. And so Christ now really comes to the point of the story. It has to do with the elder son. The elder son in his self-righteousness. He's been laboring all his life to gain the favor of the Father. To gain the Father's blessing. He resents the fact that the father has so freely showed mercy to that younger brother of his, that rotten sinner. The wickedness of the heart of this elder son comes through the veneer of his self-righteousness. The wickedness of his heart becomes very clear. He was not serving his father out of love. If he loved his father at all, he would have been rejoicing with the father because the son had returned. But he was not serving out of love. He was serving out of works. And he was trying to earn his father's favor. He was trying to earn his father's blessing. And he deserved that blessing. The anger of the elder brother toward his father would have been exactly what the Pharisees would have been feeling. Anger at the suggestion that forgiveness was so easily given rather than diligently earned. Resenting the mercy of his father in his self-righteousness, the elder son believed he deserved more from his father. He had worked hard to earn that blessing. He had worked hard to earn his father's love. He had worked hard to earn his father's favor and he deserved it. And his younger brother did not. And he's angry. The 
this elder brother didn't recognize was that he was just as sinful as his younger brother. His heart was just as wicked. His heart was just as evil. He covered up with his own self-righteousness. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This elder son, the Pharisees, did not recognize that they needed as much grace and forgiveness as this rebellious prodigal. The father comes out to the elder son. The father came out to entreat him. Answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you, neither transgressed I at any time your commandments, and yet you have never gave me... You've never given me a kid that I might make merry with my friends, but as soon as this your son was come, who has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. You know, when we first read that, I'm sure many of us can kind of say, you know, I, I get where this elder son's coming from. I get it. Doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. That's because we don't understand the love and the grace and the mercy of the Father. And we don't understand our own self-righteousness. We think that somehow we're better than. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me and all I have is yours. It was fitting that we should make merry and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The story ends with us kind of hanging. The plea of the father that the elder son come and join the party is just left hanging with the elder son refusing to join the party. It's a party of, of grace. It's a party of mercy. It's a party of forgiveness. It's a party of, of reconciliation. And the elder son refuses to go into the party. Deluded by his own self-righteousness, he does not experience the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the reconciliation. Deluded by his own self-righteousness, he doesn't experience the party that the Father throws for him. And that's the point that Christ is getting across to the Pharisees. They're going to miss out on the party. Our churches this morning across America are filled with people seeking to earn God's favor in their own self-righteousness. Filled with people today who are going through the motions believing that somehow God will bless them because they're trying to do the right thing and in their own self-righteousness they have earned God's blessing. They deserve God's favor and they're going to miss out on the party. Deluded in his own self-righteousness, the elder son refuses to join the celebration of mercy and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, and he finds himself standing outside of the father's party. In chapter 14 of Luke, Christ gave some other parables and, and the idea of this, this party and this feast that, that, that the, the uh, 
Pharisees would have recognized he's talking about the, the millennial kingdom and heaven itself. So as he tells this story, they, they would have started putting this together. What Christ was saying is, you Pharisees in your self-righteousness, you're going to miss out on the coming kingdom. You're going to miss out on heaven itself in your deluded self-righteousness. Again, there's so much in this story that we could unpack, but let me kind of take maybe a little sidetrack here. I know that some of you are grieving this morning over a prodigal child. Children can give us the greatest joy in life. They can give us the greatest heartache in life, can't they? Just let me share a couple of thoughts. First of all, notice in this story, the father does not pursue after the son. Certainly the indication is that he is waiting daily for the son's return. He saw him afar off coming. That would indicate that maybe he was constantly looking. And though it doesn't say, we could certainly imagine that he was praying daily for that son. But he did not go and rescue him from the pig pen. I simply say that in this sense. Sometimes we as parents can get in God's way God is working, and he may work some pretty horrible consequences. And sometimes we can go and try to rescue them from those consequences and get in God's way. Good wisdom and judgment needs to be exercised. Let God do what only God can do. And certainly we need to be there when the sun returns. But sometimes we can get in God's way and what God's trying to do. The flip side of that is we need to, as parents, make sure that we're not acting more like the elder son than the father. We can sometimes come across to that prodigal as, as self-righteous. And you're going to have to pay. If you ever want to come back, if you ever want my forgiveness, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to earn it. And we can, we can come across as though the biggest problem they have is that they have to repent to me. And that's not the biggest problem. That repentance has to be before God. And, and notice this young man's words in verse 18, I have sinned against heaven and before you against heaven, against God. That's the priority. And we need to make sure that our prodigals understand that's the priority, not about me. It's not about me. It's not about an apology to me. It's not about making things right with me. It's about God. We can't be the elder son. We need to be the parent. 
Be assured of my prayers for you. What kind of sinner do you find yourself this morning? Do you relate more with the younger son or the elder son? One openly rebellious, living for self? If that's you this morning, be assured that God is waiting with open arms. He is ready to throw his loving arms around your pig stinking neck in all of your filth. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Maybe you've been wallowing with the pigs for a long time. He is ready to receive you. Throw yourself at his mercy. Acknowledge your sin and he will forgive. And I urge you this morning, if that's where you're at, again, it's not that Sin doesn't have to be paid for, but that's the beauty of the gospel. It's been paid for. Christ has died in your place. He's taken your penalty. You can just throw yourself at the mercy of God. Perhaps you're one who has been plagued with self-righteousness, believing you are good enough to earn God's forgiveness. You're not as sinful as that prodigal. Understand that what you see as righteousness, God sees as a filthy rag. It's tainted with impure motives. It's tainted with pride. It's tainted with with impure attitudes, just as the Pharisees. It's a filthy rag. The stench of your self-righteousness is just as repugnant as the pig pen. There's no difference. You need just as much grace and mercy and forgiveness as the prodigal. We all need to throw ourselves at the mercy of the Father. Both are equally in need of God's grace and mercy. The stench of self-righteousness is just as repugnant as the stench of the pigs. Where are you today? Have you thrown yourself at the mercy of God? Do you need to do so today? Let's bow in prayer. Fathers, we read an account such as this. We marvel at your love and your grace. to accept that openly rebellious son, to accept that deluded, self-righteous son. It's only because of your love and your grace and your mercy that you would embrace us with forgiveness that you would redeem us from that sin because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And we thank you for that salvation. For everyone here this morning, Father, who has trusted you as their Savior, I, I thank you for that. But any 
here this morning who are perhaps struggling, not sure of that salvation, really not sure where they stand before you. Maybe they've taken that path of open rebellion. Maybe they, they just don't think they've done anything all that bad. Pray, Father, that you convict their heart this morning. And I feel compelled this morning to just end with just asking us, your heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone here that would just raise your hand and say, I'd like to talk to you? Anyone here this morning that would just say, I, I, I'm just not sure where I'm at right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just will see your hand and make sure I seek you out or you can seek me out. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, again, we just trust you because you're a God who cannot lie. And you have said that you would in no way cast out any who would come to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Again, if we can help you in any way, please seek us out. Shall we stand? Father, we rejoice this morning in that which we have heard and read. Thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Guide us in our Sunday school hour now to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. May God bless you.